Thank you, team. He alone holds the power to redeem. My name is Kathy Julian. It is my privilege and joy to speak with you this morning. I want to start with a story, a true story, about Robert McCartney of Stoneboro, Pennsylvania. On March the 5th, 2003, he crawled inside a cement mixer to wash away some of the cement that was stuck to the sides. And the water hose he was using caught on the clutch lever and started the mixer spinning. And so he clung to a paddle inside the mixer while it went round and around 30 times per minute. I would have been throwing up sick. I'm just saying it would have been bad, bad news. So he, he, he just endured this for two hours until a fellow worker noticed it running unattended, stopped it, and released it. Can you even imagine? Oh, my gosh. Well, we all, at one time or another, feel like that guy in the cement mixer, right? We feel trapped, scared, and alone. Our world is spinning out of control, and no one seems to hear our cries for help. What is the greatest pain you have ever endured? Or perhaps you're enduring it even today. Does your mind immediately go to physical pain like cancer, a broken bone, kidney stones, or to emotional pain, a broken home, the loss of a friendship, or the loss of a job? There are so many things that we go through. The, the list is endless. Unfortunately, life is not like a computer with escape and control keys, right? We would all love to control our lives and escape the pain. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's true. It's true. But we can't. What is it that you turn to in times of trouble? Do you turn to friends, doctors, and medicine? How about food or sleep? Some of us turn to books or TV shows or or video games. You know, all of these can be helpful sometimes, but there's a quote from Corey Ten Boom that reminds us, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you'll look at God, you'll be at rest. You see, God and his word give us hope that he alone is sovereign and will bring ultimate good from hardship, even unexpected blessings for those who trust in him. And our big idea today is the fact that our sovereign God is able to redeem all that he allows And no matter how awful our today is, and as difficult as it is to believe, in Christ we have hope for the future. We see this truth exemplified in the life of Job. And I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Job. And if you do not own a Bible, please feel free to accept one from us. Just take one from the pew rack. It's our gift to you. Now... If life were fair, Job's life 
should have been pain-free. Just look at Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And that is saying something. Satan saw this good life, and he accused God of putting a hedge of protection around Job, which was the only reason that Job then lived a, a blameless life. In other words, Satan was saying that Job only lived a good life in expectation of all the good things he would then get from God. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Yeah. How about you? Do you serve God so that he will bless you? As an example, I heard about a mother who was exasperated with her little five-year-old son who had been giving her trouble all afternoon. And so she said to him, Would you please straighten up and be good? He said to her, okay. I'll be good if you'll give me five dollars. To which she responded, why can't you be good for nothing like your father? (laughs) Well, you see, Satan was determined to prove that Job wasn't good for nothing, and was serving God only because of what he was getting from God. God, knowing Job's faithful heart, gave Satan permission to attack Job in ways he didn't seem to deserve, including the loss of his wealth, the loss of his children, his health, and the respect of his wife. She, oh so compassionately, said to him in Job 2.9, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die already. And then there were his dear friends. They added insult to injury by telling him that God is fair. And since pain is the result of evil... The reason for his troubles must be his sin, and the obvious solution is repentance. So in 27 tedious chapters, from 4 to 31, his friends tell Job that he got what he deserved. His friend Eliphaz contends in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Now, it's true that we often reap what we sow. But not all pain is the result of sin, and we have no right to assume a person's troubles are the result of their sin. Bildad says to Job in chapter 8, verse 6, He says, if you are pure and upright, even now he, God, 
will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. You see, we would all like to think that if we live a pure, upright life, obedient to God, that he'll then reward us with a trouble-free life. But God knows this is not possible in this sinful, fallen world. And he knows that it is often trouble that draws us closer to himself. In another example of poor advice, Zophar says in chapter 11, verse 6 of the Living Bible, listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. Yikes! That may be true, but it is cruel to say so. Advice and giving it is dangerous business unless prayerfully and lovingly and sparingly given, advice becomes like salt in a wound. It stings. As Job said to his friends in chapter 13, verse 5, he says to them, if only you would be altogether silent, for you, that would be wisdom. Don't you know Job was weary of all the condemning advice of his friends? If only they would just be quiet. Finally, Elihu comes in chapters 32 to 37 as a brother, not as a judge. And he says in chapter 33, verses 6 and 7, He says, Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was formed from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Beautiful. Hallelujah for a friend who loves and listens and supports. We all need a friend like that. Elihu proposed that Job's suffering was not to punish him but to correct and teach him. He called Job not to repent from some action of the past, but from his present attitude of self-righteousness. In his misery, Job had spent a lot of time declaring his blamelessness. In fact, in chapter 31, verses 5 and 6, Job says, If I have walked in falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, Let God weigh me in honest scales, and he will know that I am blameless. You see, Job believed what we would all like to believe, that God prevents calamity from touching those who faithfully follow and obey him. But the question being asked of Job and of us is, are we obediently following God so that he will bless us? Or because he alone is almighty, sovereign, worthy, holy God. We're 37 chapters. Went kind of quick, didn't it? 37 chapters into the book of Job, listening to Job's complaints and self-defense and mostly poor advice of his friends before God speaks. Chapter 38, verse 1 begins, Then 
The Lord answered Job out of the storm. God has no more than opened his mouth than Job knows he should have kept his mouth shut. God says to Job in chapter 38, verses 3 through 7, God says, brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang all together and all the angels shouted for joy? And for the first time, Job has no response. He is silenced by the profound questions of Almighty God who goes on to ask in various verses of chapters 38 and 39, have you ever gone to where the sea begins or walked in the valleys under the sea? Have you ever gone to the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? Job, are you the one who gives the horse its strength? Or puts a flowing mane on its neck? Do you make the horse jump like a locust? Is it through your wisdom that the hawk flies and spreads its wings toward the south? Job barely has time to shake his head at one question before another is asked. Does Job get the message that God alone is God? Yeah. He gets it. Listen to his response in chapter 40, verse 4. Job says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Wise move, huh? Wise move. Sometimes we all need to do the same. My mother has a plaque that we all need. And it says, Lord, help me take every opportunity today to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Well, notice the change when God speaks. Before he heard God, Job spent a lot of time defending himself. And after he heard God, reverent silence was the only proper response. He realized that he was not meant to understand his suffering, but to trust his sovereign heavenly father. Only in God would Job find hope for the future instead of desperately seeking answers to the whys of the past. Can I say that again? Only in God would Job find hope for the future instead of desperately seeking answers to the whys of the past. At last, Job confesses in chapter 42, verses 2 through 5. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. 
things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak to you. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job now realizes that unlike God, he simply doesn't know enough to understand why bad things happen to good people. Even more than that, Job realizes that prior to his trial, he had only heard of God, but now he sees him. He knows him. The reverence with which Job now sits before God is the same reverence with which Jesus taught us to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. This phrase is not an announcement, but a heavy request. Be hallowed, Lord. Do whatever it takes to be holy in my life. May you be exalted, magnified, and glorified. You be Lord, and I'll be quiet. It's a matter of seeking God's will instead of our own and keeping our minds fixed on God like a sailor in a storm. Because you see, the secret for finding land is not aiming for another struggling boat or staring fearfully at the waves. Instead, we must set our sights on an immovable object that is unaffected by the storm, like a lighthouse on the shore, and go straight for it. By seeking God, we do the same. And in the words of Max Lucado, when you set your sights on God, you focus on the one who can overcome any storm your life may bring. Like Job, you find peace in the pain. Like Job, you cover your mouth and sit still. Be still and know that I am God. This verse contains a command with a promise. The command, be still. Cover your mouth. Bend your knees. The promise you will know that I am God. At the same time, it's okay to cry out to God in anguish and pain. He wants to hear from us, but eventually we must come to the point that we can be still and know that he is God. I'm reminded of the inspiring story of an airplane that was being violently tossed about by a storm. A pastor on board later said, as I looked around, around, looked around the plane, I could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying. The future seemed ominous, and many were wondering if they would make it safely off that plane. Have any, any of you had that kind of experience where it's just, mm, mm, and you're like, oh my goodness, are we going to land or are we going to die? But as this pastor was looking around the plane, he noticed a little girl who seemed perfectly content 
She had tucked her feet beneath her as she sat on her seat. She was reading a book and remained completely composed and unafraid. I asked her why she was not scared, and she replied, Sir, my dad is the pilot, and he is taking me home. I love that attitude. I love that attitude. There are many storms that buffet us, whether they be physical, emotional, mental, financial, relational. But let us always remember that our Heavenly Father is the pilot. He is in control and will see us safely to our heavenly home. Perhaps you're wondering why. He has not delivered you or a loved one from an incredibly painful situation. And you're wondering how a loving God could leave you in such pain. And you're thinking that maybe today I have the answer. But I don't. I don't. There are no easy answers. We don't always know in this life the reasons for our suffering. But here's what I do know. God loves you. God knows your name. He sees your pain. And he will see you through your darkest days as you seek him. Isaiah 43, starting with verse 1, Fear not, for I, God, have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. These verses confirm that we are not promised to be kept from suffering, but that God will be with us in the suffering. Job has given us a powerful example of the choice we have to make in response to pain. Will we question God's authority and think our righteousness deserves a pain-free life? Or will we rest in his provision and powerful presence in the midst of the storm and draw near to him in thankfulness for the good he is ultimately going to bring out of that pain? There's a true story that vividly depicts the importance of thanking God for the challenges in our lives, whether they be people we see as problems or situations that are stretching us way beyond our comfort zone. Corey Ten Boom and her sister were kept in terribly overcrowded and flea-infested barracks at Ravensbrook Concentration Camp. 
miraculously, they had been able to smuggle a Bible into their barracks. And in their studies of God's word, they had read of the importance of thanking God in all circumstances and that God could use anything for good. Corey's sister Betsy decided this meant thanking God for the fleas. Corey would have none of it. She was not interested in thanking God for the fleas. But Betsy insisted, and so, okay, Corey thanked God for the fleas. And over the next several months, a curious but wonderful thing happened. They found that the guards never entered their barracks, and this meant that the women were not assaulted. It meant that they were able to do the unthinkable, and that was to hold open Bible studies and prayer meetings in the heart of a Nazi concentration camp. And through this, countless numbers of women came to faith in Jesus Christ. Only at the end did they discover why the guards had left them alone and would not enter the barracks. And yes, you already guessed it, it was because of the fleas. What challenge do you need to thank God for today? Specifically for the good he's going to bring from it, whether you get to see it in this life or in the next. And I'm not talking about thanking God for the challenge itself, but for how God is going to use it for your good and his glory. I can relate to this myself. As I stand here before you today, I did not sleep at all last night. Over the past three and a half years, I have been dealing with severe insomnia and constant dizziness to one degree or another. I have sought out every doctor that you can think of to absolutely no avail. There's a reason why I stand here leaning on this podium. It's holding me up. But more importantly, God is holding me up, and I thank him for carrying me through these past three and a half years. I know that my Redeemer lives and that he is with me through this journey. And in the midst of it, God led me to start a blessings notebook. And in it, each day, I intentionally look for the smallest blessings, like butterflies in the park, or hugs from family and friends. And it has enriched my life tenfold. For Job, the years to come find him once again with health and wealth restored. His arms are again full of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren for four generations. More importantly, his relationship with Almighty God is restored and blessed. He's learned that the ways of our omniscient, almighty, sovereign God are way beyond his finite mind and that God is still on the throne of the universe redeeming all that he allows. We also 
must learn from Job's experience that we can trust that God knows what he is doing even when we do not. If God has allowed suffering to come to his children, he will bring purpose and good from it as we trust in him. Romans 8.28 confirms this fact. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, there are many ways that God may redeem our pain. And though he does not always do so, he may restore all that was taken away, as he did with Job. Or he may open our eyes to the blessings around us, even in the midst of pain and loss. And he'll certainly use our lives as a testimony and encouragement to others who are struggling. He'll also grow patient endurance in us, enabling us to learn to rely on God instead of ourselves and teach us to be thankful even in the midst of hardship. But most importantly, he will draw us closer to himself. Like Job, we will not always know about God. We will come to know God in all his power, presence, and provision. What Satan meant for evil in Job's life in an hour is God works for our ultimate good. Amen? What Satan means for evil, God works for our ultimate good. Doesn't that give you hope? There's hope. There's hope. In closing, Max Lucado writes, all his life, Job had been a good man. All his life, he had believed in God. All his life, he had discussed God, had notions about him, and had prayed to him. Does it sound like you? But in the storm, Job sees him. It took a storm, not earthly pleasures, for Job to see God and be drawn closer to him. And the same is often true for us. God uses our storms to draw us to himself. If you underline any passage in the book of Job today, underline this one in Job 42.5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. The question for each one of us today is, where do you see God working and blessing even in the midst of your pain? Will you trust that God knows what he's doing and that he is able to give you hope for the future despite the pain of the present? As the worship band comes up, I invite you to take a moment to ask him to open the eyes of your heart to his loving presence, enabling you to trust him and to see his blessings in both the good times and in the bad. Will you pray with me? Silently pray, asking God to open your eyes.